Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Another hectic week five for the Pac-12 in the football realm. Welcome everybody to Believe in the Pac-12. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. I'm with my esteemed colleague Ryan Leaf. Ryan, I know that you were on the Nevada-Hawaii call this past weekend, and that was a bit of a blowout. However, the Pac-12 itself, as we transition, only one blowout, and that was your Washington State Cougars losing to Utah. Yeah, I, 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 I think that Things are going to kind of start to play out. The biggest one for me was just tell tell me this. Tell me there's one undefeated team left in the Pac-12, and I'll tell you exactly what happens when that when that's the case. And that's what happened on Friday night, and Cal losing their starting quarterback and then losing the football game at home as the number 15th-ranked team in the country goes down. End of September, no Pac-12 team uh, undefeated. First time that's happened in I don't know how long, but it's been a long, long time, and it, and it kind of puts the nail in the coffin in terms of what what the national narrative in terms of the college football playoff really looks like for the Pac-12. Chase Garbers goes down in that game. They lose 24-17. to Devon Modster came in 5 for 14, 23 yards and in an interception. And I think that's the biggest thing for Cal is that they didn't have any fluidity once Garbers went down. He was playing well, 9 for 12, 117 yards and a touchdown. And when you can't move the ball and against an Arizona State team that was running pretty well, 48 carries for 191 yards total, three touchdowns for Eno Benjamin alone. If you can't respond after your starting quarterback goes down, there's not much you can do besides sit back and eventually look at the scoreboard and see that you lose. So, you know, I think that for Cal, look, I, I thought Cal was overrated coming into this game nationally at 15th. What are your thoughts coming into this game on where Cal was? Because they dropped out of the rankings from going 15 to essentially 26 on is a pretty big drop. Well, as we all know, the gold standard for rankings is is my ranking system, okay? <laughs> and I had them at 15 a week ago. So I did not think that was over 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 ranked and I did not throw them out of I didn't throw them out of the top 25 this week because of a loss against now a a top 25 Arizona State football team, right? So I my my top 25 will start with that. My top 25 uh, in the Pac-12 starts with Oregon at 10. Uh, University of Washington at 15, Utah at 16, ASU at 21, and Cal at 22. So those are those are still my rankings. Uh, I, I think that Cal deserves to be in it now. They have to go to Oregon this week and probably will be without their starting quarterback. And that certainly will throw them out of the top 25 a week from now if that's the case. But right now, being 4-1 and one with a win over Washington on the road, a win against Ole Miss in the SEC at 9 a.m. on the road, for me, are, are substantial. Those are substantial wins for me, and it puts them still in the top 25 and, and uh, with an opportunity to go and, and play a very good Oregon team 
this weekend. So you think circumstantially the Cal loss really isn't that bad because that the wins number one outweigh the loss altogether. But number two, I know at the end of the day, we, we consistently talk about how it doesn't matter how you win or how you lose. A win is a win, a loss is a loss, but they lost their starting quarterback. So you think that the, the wins outweigh this loss and the way that they lost is also taken into account. I, I think it does. I'm, I'm about to go to Dallas and be part of the mock uh, college football playoff committee and see what things kind of play into that. You know, it's, it's, it's a, on a human level, you got to take those things into consideration. Also, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a bad loss. Uh, it, it's, you wanted it to continue, fifth, you know, 15th ranked in the, in the country, undefeated, you know, to continue doing those things. But that's just the way the Pac-12 is. It's, it's a, a league of cannibalism. We just eat each other up because it's so competitive. It, it just is. You know, Utah bounces back and looks to be one of the better football teams in the conference without Zach Moss at running back. Right now there's, I think, you know, solid two tiers, right? The top tier right now sits Oregon, Washington, and uh, Utah. That's that's tier one. Those are the teams that are going to be at tier two. You know, then that's where you start to throw into the mix the Arizona States, the Cows of the world. Um, Colorado's, you know, dabbling in that mix. Arizona's 3-1 and one since their loss to Hawaii in week one, and I saw Hawaii this weekend. They are very, very good. They would be competitive in the Pac-12 conference, running that run and shoot there with Cole McDonald. So I, this football conference for me is right now kind of letting you know who's at the very top. Uh, USC, everybody jumped on the bandwagon there in the top 25, out of the top 25, in the top 25, out of the top 25. They're going to struggle against Notre Dame a week a week from now and be be three and three when it's all said and done. What does that mean? Because they have a a, a back loaded conference schedule that that allows for them to get some more wins. But if they are down with being three and three, could definitely develop into a season like we saw a year ago and you know exit sto- uh, stage right. Uh, Clay Helton. Let's go to that USC game. Twenty eight fourteen Washington over USC. Washington's defense, for all intents and purposes, looked elite. In that game, now I'm not crediting Matt Fink or the play calling on offense. I think that Helton made some pretty bad decisions, the fourth and two later in the game specifically. Um, But I think that honeymoon period post-JT Daniels, when you had Slovis, they beat Stanford handedly, a Stanford team we now can look back and say, well, in hindsight, they're probably the second worst team in the Pac-12 after barely beating Oregon State this past weekend. But USC seemed like the team that we expected to see after JT Daniels went down Three interceptions for Fink. Seven for 94 on the ground for Stephen Carr, but there was no real consistency in the run game. I'm I'm not shocked that this was the result. I'm shocked that Eason only threw for 180 yards, but USC's defense isn't bad either. They just couldn't score on Washington. There was no sustainability offensively for Washington. That's That was my biggest takeaway. They couldn't just couldn't, you know, sustain the, the success they had in, in certain drives because I really felt watching the game that Washington should be leading this game by many, many, many more points. And then all of a sudden, USC is in a position to score in the red zone late in the football game to put them in put them in a place where they could be right back in the football game. So it was kind of a confusing game to watch from that standpoint. Uh, USC is just a different football team on the road. They have been under Clay Helton. Uh, Keaton Slovis looks great against Stanford. He goes on the road. He looks like the, the freshman at BYU. You know, you watched... Matt Fink against a very good Utah team uh, at home, and then you watch him go on the road and make you know mistakes in his in his second start. 
my biggest really takeaway had nothing to do with USC or or Washington in that football game. Maybe a little bit to do with Washington was was Jimmy Lake's um, game plan against Matt Fink and the Trojans because he completely shut them down, and it really makes me look at what Utah brought to the table and Kyle Whittingham's inability to like make some adjustments. Uh, continue to play man coverage, press, and allowing those supermen of wide receivers for, for USC to go down the football field and dominate, and a big reason why they lost that football game. Now, he made significant shifts in the Washington State game. They brought only three a lot of the time, dropped eight, made them throw the ball underneath, and made solid tackles, which would have won you that type of football game had you done that from the onset against USC. So I think that was my biggest takeaway. Utah could still be in the conversation if they were just willing to, to go outside their comfort zone a little bit and do something different defensively. They made the adjustments. Sure enough, they won big against Washington State this weekend. I want to quickly jump back here uh, before we get into that game a little bit more to Jacob Eason specifically. Uh, He came into the season, obviously, redshirted last year, transferred from Georgia. He was the McDonald All-American Player of the Year out of the state of Washington a few seasons ago or a few years ago out of high school. Now he's making a case, in my mind, to be a, a... a seasoned and a strong quarterback on the national level. Where do you see him going for the rest of the season? And could is there a chance that he could make a case to be a draft pick taken in the first three rounds of the draft next season? Well, just his just his size and his the structure and his fundamentals and his technique of throwing the football makes him, uh, I think, a top three uh, round draft pick in the in the NFL draft if he chooses to to leave early. My biggest takeaway for him is is against. Uh, mediocre um, competition, Hawaii, BYU, um, Montana, things like that, or uh, I forget who they played, Eastern Washington in week one. You know, he's been whatever, he's been as advertised. Now, uh, games against a very good defense in Cal and uh, a decent defense in USC, he has not been able to sustain that success. And I don't know. What he did a week ago against BYU, he let that ball rip. Yep. I mean, he just – he saw what he saw, and he let it rip. And it really felt like he was a little hesitant in, in this football game and did not throw the football as accurately and as, I I would say, you know, risk-averse as he did against a BYU team the week before where he was really, really impressive. His arm strength really was showcased. And Brock Hewitt, I felt, said something pretty pretty uh, spot-on in, in, in the broadcast. He said – Arm strength is probably one of the most overrated skill sets of a, of a quarterback. But when you watch Jacob Eason go about it, it is unbelievably impressive. And there were times, again, in this football game where he showed that off. And he just has got to be more consistent, uh, sustain that success they had on a couple of their drives, and this Washington team will be just fine. Now, they just found out they got to play the 8 p.m. Pacific kickoff against Arizona two weeks from now. Uh, I know Chris Peterson's not going to like that. Uh, and then, of course, you know the big the big showdown is going to be against Oregon for the North here in a couple weeks uh, in Seattle. Ultimately, it's going to come down to those two football teams with Washington State and Stanford being down this year. As we sit here, before we get to that Utah Washington State game a little bit more, you know there there seems to be a, a conflict on. I know the worst place to, to reference is Twitter, but there seems to be an internal Pac-12 conflict or a conflict on Twitter about if Washington is the best team still or if Oregon is the best team right now. Oregon coming off of the bye. We didn't get to see them last week. Their competition hasn't been stellar after the Auburn game, uh, Stanford and Montana and Nevada. Do you see Washington 
as the better team right now in the Pac-12, or is Oregon the best team? I think they're pretty pretty similar. I, I will say the loss for Oregon uh, is, is to my third-ranked team in this country right now, Auburn. So for right now, they give me the the they give me the go ahead in terms of what team is better. And right now, I think it is Oregon. And this weekend, they're going to get a Cal team that's going to come in and, and play good defense. But the difference in the Oregon team that, that we've seen in the past is Mario Cristobal's brought a defense. They have not allowed a touchdown since week one uh, in that final drive to Bo Nix, uh, which is something that Oregon never really presented. Chip Kelly always had pretty good defenses, but not like this, right? You thought that this team was going to be you know, the example of offense with Justin Herbert, but if the, going away, your view of this football team is uh, studs on defense – and then you also have Justin Herbert, that makes Oregon definitely the top contender for me in the conference right now, and especially if he continues to get back his wide receivers. This this Oregon team may be really difficult to stop, and it would, after having that Auburn game in their hand, and if this team is able to run the table and be in a position at 12-1 and when the season's over uh, and not get a look because... Uh, they lost that football game. That would be that would be an absolute shame for for that Duck program. Yeah, Oregon's had to rely on Jalen Red, uh, Jacob Breland, the tight end, and Johnny Johnson, who as students last year we actually called him Johnny Drops because he dropped almost every pass uh, that Herbert threw his way. They're, we're still waiting to see when Jawan Johnson, the transfer from Penn State, will be back, and we're waiting to see when um, Micah Pittman, the star freshman from Calabasas High School out here in the Valley. Uh, We'll be back from his injury as well. But now let's move on to that Washington State-Utah game that you alluded to earlier. Washington 4-1, and 1-1 one, uh, one one in the conference. That lost to USC, obviously. Huntley looked phenomenal. 21 for 30, 334 yards, two touchdowns on the other side. Anthony Gordon, he threw the ball 49 times, only got 252 yards out of it, and only 5.1 yards per play. Was there a little bit of passiveness inside the pocket for him, or was Utah's game plan, as you mentioned earlier, just that good. Yeah, it was just that good. And I really, I really think what happened a week ago uh, had had damaging effects against on, UCLA. Yes, had yeah. damaging effects on this football team. I've talked to a bunch of people at Washington State. They simply won't go there. They won't say that it did, but it, it had to. It, it just absolutely has to 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 be up thirty two points with nineteen minutes to go and to lose that football game. And it was a game that they had needed or they needed and I had in their win column all all along because it was going to be hard enough to go on the road and play at Utah and then play at Arizona State and then play at Cal and Oregon and Washington right I had them as an eight and four football team you know stealing a win on the road somewhere maybe at Arizona State in a couple weeks I don't know if that's a possibility now and with the loss to UCLA that puts them in a position where you know they are six and six and to go from an 11 11-win team to a 6 and 6 season that that's that's the drop off people were assuming were going to happen when Luke Falk to Gardner Minshew that's that's the difference uh, and I don't necessarily know if it's an Anthony Gordon issue I think it's a team issue and I think it starts at the top you listen to Mike Leach this week go off in his post game press conference say some words that I don't know if were necessary fat dumb um, slow soft slow and soft I get fat dumb you know, there needs to be a look in the mirror there. And I know he does. He says it. He says, we're allowing this to happen. And I get that point. But, uh, you know, I don't like him walking into a press conference and then laying everything at the feet of his team when I don't necessarily believe he's taken an honest look in the mirror after what happened a week ago against UCLA and then what continued to transpire against Utah. 
Max Borgie, 8 for 51 on the ground, 9 for 70 through the air. Who's the next man up for this team? Because the last two weeks, especially at the end of last week against UCLA, most of the offense was generated through him. I mean, what does this team have to do to get some more playmakers involved and take some of the pressure off of him? I, they have plenty of playmakers. Um, better decision-making. You know, I think there's been a blueprint that's been set out, and you just have to have the right type of players. And for me, uh, a Washington State loss is centered around the defensive front. If you have three guys, three guys who are capable of putting pressure on the quarterback, which you wouldn't think would be possible against five offensive linemen at Washington State. Washington did it really well a year ago, or they have for forever against Mike Leach's team. And Utah, you know, Utah did, they dropped eight, they dropped seven, they may brought four every once again, but they brought the three guys, Bradley and I, that crew got to the football quarterback, got to the to the quarterback and, and made things difficult for him. The idea that you held a Washington State football team that's been averaging not only a ton of points but a ton of yards – to zero points in the second half is very telling in what Kyle Whittingham was able to do from a week ago and put that in place in this football game. Washington State 3-for-12 on third down efficiency. Utah was 6-for-12, a little better on the ratio there. Um, but once again, Utah wins that game 38-13, to and now Utah in a position to try and make a run at the South, but we'll see now with what Arizona State's doing. I know they lost to Colorado. I still think that they have a chance. I think Colorado, I mean, where is the South? Because it seems like at this point, I mean, UCLA, If they, I know they lost to Arizona. If they beat Arizona, they would have been first place in the South, and I know that's a, a lot of hyperbole and, and a bit of facetiousness, but, you know, the South realistically could go to probably three different teams. No, the South is chaotic, right? I didn't think that that was a a launching pad last week with what UCLA did. I think right. a lot of people talked about that, and I was just – they just went and lost to an Arizona team that was down both uh, their best offensive quarterback, best offensive running back, uh, were out of that football game, and they still lost that game. So I, I'm not sold on, on, on UCLA. I thought they would have beat San Diego State in, in week two, and so the Washington State win was just a uh, anomaly for me. I think they're still a 3-9 and nine football team. I think that – uh, Arizona's a six and six ball club. I think Arizona State's a seven five ball club. I think that USC's around a six and six football team. So all those are in place, which leaves Utah the, as the cream of the crop. Now, what they did at USC was dumbfounding for me in terms of how that thing played out because I think they are one of the best football teams. Uh, maybe that was a, an eye opener for them because they looked the part on Saturday night against a a Washington State team that had. Uh, some good wins early on. I don't think that anybody else is going to rival Utah. I think that you know USC could. They only have one conference loss, and they have the win over Utah. So essentially, Utah needs um, USC to lose two more times, most likely, and them not lose to be the South champion. So it, it may come down to that. We'll see what a USC team looks like when they come back home at three and three from South Bend. If they're a three and three ball club, um, you know, with only one loss in the conference, that's a, a way for Clay Helton to sell the second half of the season where you guys can win the Pac-12 still. And I heard somebody re- respond uh, this weekend say it wouldn't surprise me if we saw USC and UW in a rematch in the Pac-12 championship. If if that happens, even if USC doesn't win the Pac-12 championship, does that give 
Clay Helton a bit of a longer leash, or do you think that this is sort of you have to win the Pac-12 championship and maybe we'll consider keeping you? Well, I mean, Lin Swan put it that way. Lin Swan said, like, the, you know, the, the boundary here is win the conference championship, and that's going to be hard. It really is. New president, hasn't hired a new athletic director. My only worry is they're 3-3, three and three and the president pretty much, you know, is going to hire her athletic athletic director and then the athletic director is going to want to hire his or her own own coach right and that means that you're going to have a lame duck coach for the remainder of the last six games of the football season which you know doesn't doesn't do a lot for anybody but I can't see asking him to leave uh, and firing him and then placing somebody in there for the interim I just I don't understand what that does to benefit anybody uh, it may give him opportunity to rattle off the last six imagine if they're a nine and three football team with uh, with a South Division championship. Um, and a win at Notre Dame? No, they wouldn't. Oh, you're saying that that would be the third loss? Yeah, they'd be 9-3 yeah. and three with a, a, a South Division title playing either Washington or Oregon for the, the Pac-12 championship. You know, I don't know if that's enough to keep your job, but, uh, um, I mean, they'd have to rattle off six consecutive wins, and they've been awful on the road. And those, you know, some some of those road games, you got Oregon coming to town, uh, yeah, it would it would be really difficult, but uh, they're as talented as anybody in this conference. So, I'm, 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 I mean, they couldn't have played it any worse on Saturday, and they were still in the football right. game late. So that's that's telling you something. And Clay Helton was very uh, positive about how those guys and how his teammate, how his team really didn't quit and stayed in that football game. I'm young, so I, I maybe this is recency bias, but I can't remember a time when the coaching situation in Los Angeles as a whole was consistently in question. Um, and I think that's a good transition to the UCLA game. You mentioned earlier UCLA, UCLA loses 20-17 to against Grant Gunnell and Arizona. Uh, Gunnell was a, a three-star out of St. Pius in, in Texas, which is currently the fifth-ranked team in the nation in high school football. But um, he looked pretty good, and I know UCLA's defense is just awful. Uh, he had 352 yards and a touchdown. He only, still only had a 59 uh, quarterback rating, which is pretty low. But again, you got to do more than just a touchdown and eight yards on average. Um, UCLA, I don't even know. Dorian Thompson-Robinson went out. He wasn't playing great. Austin Burton, uh, another uh, redshirt sophomore. He's from Arizona, I believe. No, he's from Florida. Uh, he comes in, didn't look that much different than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. That team is it's just a bad team. Uh, what does this say about UCLA's, the state of UCLA's program right now to lose to an Arizona team who didn't have their starting quarterback? Yeah, it's tough, you know. It's you know, they, like we talked about, a lot of people thought there was a bit of a launching pad with what they did a week ago in the last 19 minutes of that football game. And if, if you're basing your, your season on 19 minutes uh, on, on Pac-12 after dark up in Pullman, then, then that's, there's going to be a problem there. And, and they still have to play these football games. And they have Oregon State this week. So, you know, we'll see if that's, if that's you know, and at home, which I think gives them the advantage. But they're going to struggle. I think they're a 3-9 football team. Now, the other side of this coin is is what Arizona did. Arizona won this football game with their backup quarterback, with their backup running back. Their two best offensive players out with injuries, and they did a tremendous job of keeping those injuries quiet right up till game time. I don't know if, if UCLA had prepared for any type of a big passing game, but we're trying to find ways to maybe stop uh, the athleticism of Khalil Tate. Instead, you know, this Arizona team goes out and wins. They're, they are 3-1 and one with two bye weeks already under their belt. They're only lost to Hawaii on the last play of the football game. So, you know, they're, they're throwing their hat into the ring. You know, I had them at, 
you know, I had them at six and six. You know, they got some games coming up against quality opponents at home. That's going to give them an opportunity. The win against UCLA is big for them as a program if they get Cleo Tate and JJ Taylor back. You know, they play Colorado this weekend. I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. Uh, the last time Khalil Tate played against Colorado was the his breakout game of his freshman year where he went absolutely nuts. So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. UCLA's you know out of the discussion for me. Um, it's all going to be about what Utah does. Are they able to um, you know continue the dominance we saw on Saturday night, or were they going to have another another opportunity where they they slip up? They go to Washington, um, and you know ironically enough, USC controls their own destiny right now. They do. They could lose to Notre Dame and be 3-3 three and three and have the final six games of the year and control their destiny in the South because of their victory over Utah last Friday night. It's really interesting how the South is playing up. We thought the North was crazy. I mean, the Pac-12, I mean, wh- where are we now versus the expectations at the beginning of the season? Not not specifically, but sort of at a, an ambiguous level. I, think it, I don't think it much has changed in terms of what people thought. I think they thought Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC. I think that's... That's where everybody had this, and those are the four teams I think that are in the mix right now. The difference is, is I think you thought all four may be undefeated. If not USC, at least the rest of them would be undefeated at this point. Instead, they all have one loss, which then puts the conversation nationally kind of in the background. And now they're all playing for a Pac-12 championship and a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, which I think is 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 pretty special. To, to have that opportunity. I don't know if I want to go play Alabama or Clemson in the first round and get beat by 30, right, like both teams did a All year right. ago, Oklahoma and Notre Dame. They just, you know, I think people are starting to come around with the idea that there may be more than those two teams involved now. There's some competitive – Ohio State looks really good. Oklahoma's much different because of what they can do defensively now by bringing in a, a Pac-12 guy and Alex Grinch. That's different for me. Uh, who would have thought that this offense would get better with Jalen Hurts coming in after two Heisman Trophy players have left. So, I mean, the national conversation is crazy now, and I think the microcosm of what the Pac-12 is is, is very similar. People are continuously throwing out, you know, the conference is out of, out of whack now and it's not going to be in the con- – no, this is a competitive football conference, and we get to see it every single weekend. Only four games this weekend, but they're going to be good ones. And we're about to preview those games on our Thursday edition of the podcast. The last game we didn't really talk about, Stanford versus Oregon State, the battle of my, my bottom two teams in the Pac-12. Do you have any thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, you know, the fact that K.J. Costello didn't play again, you know, that's, that's big for me because he was coming into the season with the possibility of being the best quarterback and with an opportunity in that schedule to make a statement. Instead, he gets hurt, doesn't even play in Week 2 against USC, and now, you know, bangs up his thumb. Uh, a week before against Oregon and then doesn't play against Oregon State. They still found a way to win. Oregon State covers, by the way, plus four and a half. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Smith and that team has got to be – they've lost two games this year by three points, a Hawaii game and this one against Stanford. You wonder what they'll – what their confidence level will be like heading down to UCLA. I think it's the the battle of the two bottom teams of the conference. Um, We'll see which one comes out on top. I don't think people are are terribly interested in it. The Stanford one for me – you know, it's just a team that that David Shaw usually presents uh, near a ten-win type football team this year. They're 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 down this year. They lost to Oregon a week ago. Uh, they play a, a Washington team coming off a big win coming up this weekend. So we'll dive deeper into those those matchups here uh, in the next podcast. Last time Stanford had a start like this, by the way, was a decade ago. They were one and eleven. And by the way, they lost to San Jose State in that season. The last time San Jose State beat a, an FBS school. An, 
until last weekend when they beat Arkansas in Arkansas. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, and as you said, the national conversation is just insane. But this is Believe in the Pac-12 where we stick to the Pac-12. And we will be with you on Thursday when Ryan and I preview week six, four games slate. And a couple of implications we certainly want to share with you. So we look forward to being on your airwaves, however you listen or where you listen. We appreciate you making us a part of your podcasting plans. For everybody who made our podcast possible, special thanks to Believe, uh, the Believe Podcasting Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals, and my broadcasting uh, and co-hosting partner, Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. We'll talk to you on Thursday when we preview week six. Until then, we'll see you Thursday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.